0: Support for Essential Tremors comes from the Big Ears Festival, celebrating 10 years with Los Lobos, Bill Frizzell, Edgar Meyer, and John Zorn. March 30th through April 2nd in Knoxville. BigEarsFestival.org This episode is brought to you by Atomic Books. Atomic is an independent bookstore full of objects made of paper, vinyl, plastic, and various other actual materials at the edge of time. Specializing in literary comics, small press, art books, and great regional beer at 8 Bar in the back of the store. Come to 3620 Falls Road in Hamden or go to AtomicBooks.com. Atomic Books, literary finds for mutated minds.
1: It's just one of those moments where you capture the energy, you know, and it's not such a clean recording. But you capture the energy of the ensemble and they're cooking. And it, it really, um, that composition too, just the arc of it, it keeps building the drama, the melody, in a very um, suspenseful, you know? It, it, it's like, okay, what's next?
0: This is Essential Tremors. I'm Lee Gardner. I'm Matt Byers. The idea behind this show is to have musicians and other creators talk about songs that shaped who they are. We're not looking for favorite songs, necessarily. We're also not looking for songs that they'd choose to take with them if they were stranded on a desert island. What we're looking for are songs that have significance to them, songs that might have changed the course of their creative lives or their lives in general. ¶¶
2: Thank mm-hmm.
0: Jazz saxophonist James Brandon Lewis's breakout 2021 album, Jessup Wagon, His tenth, is a song cycle inspired by inventor George Washington Carver and his efforts at educating others about agriculture during his tenure at the Tuskegee Institute. If this sounds like a dry topic for a record, the first notes of it will disabuse you of this, as Lewis weaves in elements of free jazz, gospel, folk blues, and even brass bands. His newest record, Eye of Eye, was released by ANSI on February 3rd, 2023. The first song Lewis chose as being formative for him was Lonely Woman by Ornette Coleman.
1: Yes, yeah, so without a doubt, um, I chose "Lonely Woman" first, first and foremost, because um, I'm a sax player, huge fan of, huge fan of, Ornette Coleman. Um, I remember. Um, I also got the privilege um, to study with Charlie Hayden while I was a student at CalArts, and uh, just to hear the stories about how he met. Um, Ornette and his first experiences of meeting Ornette and sheet music was everywhere, um, just kind of for me built up the, uh, you know, the aura, the vibe, the 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 mystique, everything about Ornette um, to such a grandiose level, and um, listening listening to that album in particular. Um, right after the melody and Ornette begins to solo and he's getting into it and you hear someone go woo in the background. Um, and it's just one of those moments where you capture the energy, you know, and it's not such a clean recording, but you capture the energy of the ensemble and they're cooking. And it, it really, um, that composition too, just the arc of it, it keeps building the drama the melody, you know, very um, suspenseful. You know, it it it's like okay, what's next? You know, and it's alternating between you know those melodies, and then when people solo, and uh, the drama, you know, the sheer drama of of, of it. And so, um, I also picked it because it's just a it's what it's just a tune that I, that I that I've always amongst many Ornette tunes, but one that stood out the most. Um, and I remember the first time I heard it. It was like maybe in my early twenties I was going to Howard University, and you know, reading jazz history and being around um musicians and 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 understanding um what maybe naysayers were saying about him um to me i was like well, well this sounds natural it sounds organic it sounds of the earth and it moved me and i it baffled me for a really long time i didn't understand what the what the problem was i i mean i still don't um, so uh ornette is is um, and i continue to work with people that have worked with ornette um i've worked with jamaladeen takuma um in particular, different people that that knew him were aware of him, um, just that sphere, you know, uh I've worked with William Parker, who worked with Don cherry, so just all of these interconnected lines of of feeling like, wow, I feel like I'm a part of of that lineage, of that vibe of that vibration and uh, yeah, just a remark- just remarkable, just just a remarkable. Um, remarkable tune, and Ornette has good titles. it's great
3: titles, right? Well, I think part of its appeal starts there, right? Because it's got this title that is just—you get it when you hear the the tune. I mean, it just is such a strong association, right? Right. Uh, but plus, but plus, it's kind of the Ornette tune that nobody doesn't like, even if they don't really like him. Of course, they can, they can, they can grasp that. Right. They probably. Can,
1: They can grasp it. It's still hard for me yeah, to fathom yeah. people not liking Ornette. <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I, well, so yes, let's talk about that for a moment. Right. Because, um, uh, and this is, um, it's not the change of the century. What's the title of the album? It's <laughs> the one with the white cover.
1: Um, the Shape of Jazz to Come. Right, Shape of Jazz. No? Well, that's where, yeah, this is where Lonely Woman comes from, yeah. The Shape of Jazz to Come. right. Right, right.
3: right. I, I can picture the cover, but I blanked on the title for a second. Right. So that record is like, what is it now? Seventy years old, almost seventy years old. Yeah, it's pretty old. And and um, people still like, you know, are boggled by that music and don't think. Uh, some people don't seem to appreciate that it's valid somehow as as a part of jazz or a part of uh, music that they should, you know take seriously right um and that's just you know and they don't have to like it i guess but they uh, they don't seem to be able to give it any credence which is right again right baffling right
1: it i mean it is baffling i don't you know i don't i don't know i don't spend too much time trying to figure out why the why i mean for me when i listen to ornette you know i've 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 adopted Ornette recently into the, the 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 Texas tenor. You know, I'm a tenor saxophonist, and he's in that tradition for me. You know, he I mean, um, you know the the manner in which he plays um, sounds like he's he's talking, he's speaking. Um, I don't tend to I I never really do a good job at explaining sounds on saxophone. Um, but there's a certain edge, um, you know, like raw hip hop, like raw hip hop sound, you know, that gritty, that lo-fi, you know, if if you will, um, in his playing that, that I like, you know, that growl, that sensibility, that little sizzle on the notes, you know, and, um, so it's just, you know, when I think about the Arnett Cobbs and and so on and so forth, you know, I, I I'm sorry, I have to put Ornette in that in that vibe. The Texas Tenors, he's a Texas Tenor, you know. <laughs> so,
3: I'm I'm curious about your uh, um uh, experience with uh with uh, Charlie Hayden um. Uh, since he was such an integral part of that band and that music. Um, are, are, is there a way you could talk briefly about what he lent to your own music and your own playing?
1: Oh, uh, for sure. Um, so when I was at CalArts, I, I I took Charlie's class every semester except for one. I was at CalArts for uh, two years. Um, and, you know, for me, you know, Charlie would come to class and he'd talk about um, a hike he went on, or he'd talk about his his grandkids, um, and he'd just give examples, you know, visual examples of going on a hike and and then describing that as a way of using that that thought, that vibe and place that same kind of intention, that beauty, you know, he talked about beauty a lot, you know, into your music, you know, what you're trying to bring, that sensibility. Um, And I always, uh, that always stuck with me. And then he, he never forgot, you know, he never forgot anyone's name or the things that you may have been interested in. I remember having conversations with him about, about Ornette or, one year, I had a conversation with him, and it was centered around. We got into this discussion about Wardell Gray, and then you fast forward, and he says, "James, I think Wardell Gray and Dewey Redmond, that that's a great combination, you know." And I was, I was; those were the people that I, that I was into, you know. Um, two different, two different perspectives, but all still the same lineage, um, continuum, rather, um, and so. That, and the level of intention, you know, I can't stress that enough. Uh, playing, you know, when Charlie would play in class, I mean, there wasn't any, you know, it, it was like everything stopped in slow motion and he was inside of what he was doing. He was in the note, you know, and I try my best to play, um, to just map that vibe. You know, that's something that I learned from many different elders was specifically Charlie um, playing with intention, you know, p- play like you mean it, you know, and and, and 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 really mean it. And the way he would describe uh, Ornette's sheer work ethic as well, you know, his sheet music everywhere, we would rehearse for hours and hours and hours. And, and um, also the way he described meeting Meeting Ornette felt like he had found his his musical partner, his 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 vibration, his agreed vibration, and and that that meant more than than what naysayers may say, you know. I and mean, and as he described um, being in class and him describing them playing at the five spot, you know and Everybody that was in the room, you know, and he said, you know, all the heaviest he he'd say he told us all the heavy heaviest cats were in the room. He said all the bass players he admired, you know, were all were were all there. And he was just like I I, I close my eyes, you know, <laughs> you know, while he's playing. And um, that was such an amazing amazing experience. Shout out to CalArts. You know, I think that that. That school and that vibe, and um, and so many students being able to work with Charlie Hayden, and him um, establishing the jazz program there, uh, along with David Roystein. Um, you know, spirituality and improvisation. That was like the that was like his vibe. That was the name of his class, and that's what that's what it was. You know, um, um, that's the first time. We play "Broken Shadows" in class, another, another ornet tune, and hearing Charlie play it, you know, that that adds a whole other experience, a whole other level to it, and the elasticity of, of the way, he, the way Charlie would play, you know, not such rigid, this rigid time, maybe that's from, his own experience, you know. Um, his parents being integral in, in music and and coming from a, a background of singers and, and yodel, yodeling, and, and this whole vibe really add added to, it It felt like a beautiful synthesis of his background and then meeting uh, Ornette being from Fort Worth and that vibe and that experience. You know, it was almost like, okay, the universe said, yeah, these two people are supposed to meet you know and and so um yeah i hope i answered your question but
3: yeah. oh no no you did and and that's yeah. i think that's a really uh powerful thing that if maybe you're lucky you feel it a couple of times in your life where you know you meet someone and you realize you two are right and everyone else is wrong right exactly <laughs> exactly exactly you know. yeah
1: and to yeah. and to have you know whatever you know the aesthetic concerns you know this or that whatever when you think about history and and players meeting each other and, and how these bands formed and it, you know it's it's something you can't take for granted but you you sit and you you're like wow you know it's like it's the same thing if you say john coltrane quartet or you think about the people who played with with Ornette, you know, I don't, I never, I don't ever not think about Don Cherry. I just, it just doesn't even, in my mind, or, or Dewey Redmond, or so on and so forth, you know. So it's just Billy Higgins. You know, it's it's one of those things where if you're fortunate enough to meet folks, then a lot goes into being loyal, you know. Like, like I care about this connection and this music so much that, okay, people don't like what we're doing. I'm in it though. I'm here with you. We're on this journey together. I'm not bailing just because some heat is coming on us. Um, and just and just think about the sheer influence. I was thinking about that earlier today. Ornette's influence on everybody, including including John Coltrane and Sonny Rollins, you know, with with them working specifically with with Don Cherry and recording, you know, being interested in in, in what Ornette had to say. So yeah, there were naysayers, but then there were, I often think there were naysayers, but John Coltrane and Sonny Rollins. Hey, they they love just playing. I think that I think that's pretty good company.
3: <laughs> right, right. The right people agree.
1: Right, um, exactly.
3: So, from the sublime to the possibly ridiculous, a couple of things you said um, clanged together in my head and made me think about uh, something that seemed maybe interesting to ask. Which is, um, I saw an interview once with a, a musician, a guitarist named Matt Sweeney, and he was talking about. Uh, uh, playing solos, and he said sometimes um, he uh, thinks about rappers that he likes as like right. a basis for a solo, and he just sort of like plays that in his head and like does right. that. Right. And you know, probably you have no you know cheesy tricks like that <laughs> for something like what you do. But I'm curious: are there things? You know, you you talked about Charlie uh, Hayden and, and, you know, walks and nature and things like that as like inspiration. Are there things that you draw from um, f- f- like that for uh, uh, soloing?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I, I don't, you know, I don't I don't know if, if if someone thinking about cadence is necessarily cheesy. I don't I don't think that that's uh, cheesy at all. Um I think whatever you need to get to what you're trying to communicate is purposeful. I, I won't. I wouldn't say that I'm thinking necessarily when I'm playing a concert, um, but I will say that. Well, there's two things. I think that there there is a, a energetic thing that I'm, you know, I'm trying to, like, put as much air into the horn as possible. Um, Sheer volume, you know, just depends on the context. But, you know, I like to, I like to work up a sweat when I'm playing. I like to, you know, the physicality of it. And I think, um, you know, I I definitely feel as though I'm a lyrical, melodic kind of player that then goes off the fringes once I get tired of that. Once I get tired of that train of thought. You know, I, I tend to, it's like if you're if you're at church and the congregation gets super excited and then there's the one person on the pew that hasn't moved, hasn't smiled, hasn't done anything yeah i'm not that person i'm probably getting excited um like the rest of the church um and in that context i guess um you know so i i think that that there are moments when it just depends on the context sometimes in my mind i may be um the melodic line is is very clear in my mind um And the possibilities of where I could go, and I guess you would say I'm singing to myself in some contexts, and then in other contexts, it might be shapes, just sheer shapes. You know, um, you know, because everything is here. You know, everything you can't see. It's not like the piano; you can't see what you're playing. Um, So conceptually. You know, I tend to think about uh, sh- shapes or different sounds, um, the angularity, the sheer angularity of how I might play. You know, if I want it to be angularity that has a sharpness to it or a smoothness to it, um, basically meaning um, the distance of intervals I'm choosing to use. And so it, it's 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 a it's a lot of different things all at once. Um, but then I've I have been in you know I am I you know shout out to where I'm from Buffalo, um, even though I've lived in New York City for the past ten years. Um, and I've actually been gone. It, it's kind of crazy. I've been I've been gone from my hometown. I'm 39, and I left when I was 19. So. Um, so there's many different factors, but I, the reason why I brought that up was to say that, you know, there's a groove sensibility as well. There's a freedom that I find when someone's grooving, you know, it's, you know, backbeat, funky, whatever you want to call it. I tend to feel really free. Um, because I think that's just represents home inside me where I grew up, you know. um, So I might be thinking about a certain cadence structure that maybe lends itself to to, um, the characteristics of hip-hop, but not necessarily thinking about a specific person. Um, But I think you could hear a lot of vocalizing that isn't a new concept um the whole idea of what we were saying earlier the texas tenor if you listen to arnett cobb he's a great example of that but but anybody you can you can listen to any person the the tenor sax is pretty close to human voice right and so if i and i was thinking about this too i was uh check out different people at different times, you know, so, but when I think about the tenor sax, there's so many different ways to paint sound. You know, if if you're, if I could put on a Teddy Edwards or a Gene Ammons, like, the, the, there's a vibe there. I, I can't explain it. There's a vibe. There's a smearing of the notes. You know, there's scoops, there's, there's growls, there's, um, all kinds of ways to play a single note, and so I think that that in, that in itself really uh, fascinates me. The the whole lineage, you know. If I if I'm if I'm one of my favorite um, uh, favorite uh, things to do is. Not necessarily test myself, but put different players on to hear if I can hear their voice, not necessarily the notes, but their voice. What are they? What makes this tone sound different than this tone? Um, And that's a little bit tricky, you know, because there's like there's a little trills in there. Different situations, like if you put on a Joe Henderson album versus, uh, I don't know, Hank Mobley or or whoever you're into, um, it gets tricky when you 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 might put on. Uh, sometimes I get confused, you know, Charlie Parker influence, for for example, um, you know, you might turn on some and say, oh, okay. Like if you turned on um, Sonny Chris or Sonny Stitt, you know, you gotta really listen. You know, you gotta really listen. But it's funny because I was listening to Ornette this morning and then I was wondering if if at all um, this is just off the top of my head. This isn't something that is verified, but I wonder how much influence Ornette and Eric Dolphy may, may have had on each other, because I was listening to that today, and said, wow, like, I can hear, and maybe maybe it's just because they play alto, but but I don't know, so it's interesting, you know, I think it, it's, it, it's interesting to, to paint, to paint sound and paint notes, and And uh, to really get inside someone's uh, vocabulary.
0: Beyond Video is a volunteer-run video library in Baltimore. Basically, an old-school video rental store reimagined with a 21st-century non-profit twist. Beyond offers nearly 30,000 titles from every region, era, and genre of cinema on DVD, Blu-ray, and VHS. A collection put together by crowdsourcing disc donations from movie lovers like you. With no rental fees or late fees, Members get unlimited rentals from the collection for a small monthly donation. Find out more about joining or donating at beyondvideo.org. Or when in Baltimore, visit Beyond at 2545 North Howard Street. And for a limited time, new members who mention Essential Tremors when signing up will get an extra month for free. You're listening to Essential Tremors. After the break, we'll hear more about our guests' essential songs. The second piece of music Lewis chose is essential to forming his sensibilities was Left Alone by Archie Shepp with Abdullah Ibrahim. <laughs>
1: Well, I picked this one for the sheer emotional content. The sheer emotional content. You have Archie Shep and Abdul Ibrahim. Um, The first time I heard it, first of all, it's Archie Shep on alto. And um, I was interested specifically in I was checking out a bunch of different versions of that song. Um and um, Mel Waldron tune. Um lyrics written by Billy Holiday. Although I I don't think she um, I'm not I don't believe she ever recorded it. Um but very, you know, (laughs) um, the, the song basically centers around, um, where's the place that I can call my home? Um, it's in that, you know, ecosystem, you know, of, of sorrow and the way in which Archie Shep is articulating himself. When I first heard it, I was like, wow, like, of course, I heard his tenor playing, but I was blown away at how he was playing alto saxophone and um, and what he was getting out of the instrument. I mean, I don't. Back in my tra- back in my transcribing days, now nah, I, I probably I wouldn't even I wouldn't even attempt because there's, there's so much so much there, so much nuance there. Um, And so um, I've listened to that tune countless times, countless times. Um, And I think, actually, I think I also watched, don't quote me on this, but I think that I've watched a version of Left Alone with Mal Waldron and Gene Lee, the vocalist, um shout out to Jean Lee uh she's amazing she was amazing um someone I wish I could have met I wish I could have met Mount Waldron um I've had, I have had to play virtual of meeting Archie Shet um so yeah that's I pretty much I picked it because it was I'm I'm a fan of that of that of that uh that composition um and the way, just the sheer emotional content of how Archie Shepp's playing the alto sax. I mean, it's amazing. That that was a that was more of a of a of a fan moment than a me as a musician um, analyzing moment. It was just like, wow, this is unbelievable. I can put this on any day of the week, and. And everything's going to be okay with life you know everything's going to be everything's going to be fine.
0: the final song that lewis chose as being formative for him was did you see harold vick by sonny rollins <laughs>
1: You're getting to know James Brandon Lewis. I am 16 years old. I think this record came out in 2000. So I'm 16. Or no, I'll be 16 because it's 2000. I was 17 when I graduated. My birthday's in August. So anyways, I'm 16 years old. The band director says... Um, going into my junior year, the band director says, hey, uh, we have uh, our tenor players are, are leaving. And would you want to play tenor? And I was playing alto at the time, alto and clarinet. I said, yes, sure." So, you know, that started the whole spending spree of whatever little job I had working at the Buffalo Public Library. And I stumbled across this record, Sonny Rollins, This Is What I Do. And, you know, of course, you know, I noticed a mouthpiece, he's, a Berg, he's got a Berg Larson mouthpiece, he's got the sax, he's got the sun shades on, hat. I said, wow, man. You know, if I, in retrospect, when I think about a 16 year old version of myself, I say, okay yeah you you dug the cover i know you d- you you dug the cover sonny was looking cool whatever um then you know out of all the tunes um you know did you see have you seen harold Vick? and i was just blown away idea after idea after idea after idea I said, wow, is, is this, this, this cat doesn't miss. And so, you know, and then it's groovy, you know, it's just, so I would just remember thinking to myself and it's, it's actually a pretty, it really let me know very recently because I, I had the fortunate opportunity to, um, to interview Sonny Rollins, uh, last year and ask him about this tune and just ask him about his rhythmic concept. And, um, uh, from what I remember from the interview, uh, he told me that he, he didn't, he didn't believe he ever played with Harold Bick, but he was definitely someone that Sonny Rollins respected. And, um, and so that was, um, Once again, it's just a groovy, it's a groovy tune and Sonny's ideas, I mean, endless. I think that track is actually, I think I'm pretty sure that's the longest track on the album. Yeah. It's like nine minutes. I mean, they play the head and then he's soloing for a really long time and not repeating any ideas. And that's hard. That's difficult to do.
3: And to be clear, for those not deeply familiar with Sonny Rollins, he would have been probably in his early 70s at this point when he right. made that record.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And testament to him. I mean, <laughs> at that point, you know, when I think about Sonny, I think about someone who is literally a motivic genius. You can take, you know, when you think about motive or whatever, you know, people will mention Bach, you know, and Shout out to Bach. You know, I dig Bach too. But Sonny Rollins. Um, you know, I've been a huge fan of 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 of, of Sonny um, pretty much the whole time I've been playing tenor sax, and I just took the, you know, the deep dive into his work and uh, listen to the listen to all of it. You know, I think this record. Um, Even uh, one of my, I think this record he made in the 70s, The Cutting Edge, uh, was another record that really, um, you know, I'm always, I always like to, it's in my personality to try to talk about, when you talk about these greats, there's always the albums that everybody wants to talk about. And I like to check out the albums that, People are not talking about, you know, and uh, I rarely hear people talk about this album. Um, not that I've heard everybody <laughs> who has everything to say about Sonny Rollins, but um, for me, when I think about his sound, um, you know, uh, very round, full-bodied tenor sound, you know, in that legacy, you um, Coleman Hawkins, you know, this, this whole vibe. And so that's how I would like to play tenor. I don't want to be Sonny, but that sound conception of playing with a full bodied sound. I, I only know about Berg Larson mouthpieces because of Sonny. I will admit that such depth, you know, and Um, the whole idea of, of, uh, fluidness, you know, the fluidity, you know, he doesn't sound like he's guessing where he's going. There's, there's forward, there's forward motion, there's forward motion in his line and his delivery. And so I definitely try and bring, bring that into my playing, you know, uh, the forwardness, yeah, so that's, that's where it's at for
2: me.
0: This has been Essential Tremors. Essential Tremors is produced by me, Matt Byers, and Lee Gardner. Essential Tremors is distributed by WYPR Baltimore. For more information about Essential Tremors, go to EssentialPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.